You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, as most of you know, some of you may not, but I grew up in Oklahoma in the, in the middle of Tornado Alley. Kansas may have the Wizard of Oz, but Oklahoma is the setting for Steven Spielberg's Twister. So I know the heart-stopping fear of rushing to a cellar when a storm is raging. I know the devastation of driving through a town that's been completely flattened by a tornado's mile-wide run through the middle of the town. And I also know that many people in Oklahoma don't take tornadoes all that seriously. And so I too have stood in the doorway of my parents' house, just looking out at the horizon to see if the siren that just went off is actually telling the truth or not. I've sat annoyed at a television, getting really upset because it keeps getting interrupted by these storm updates. And I'm trying to watch a show. So let me introduce you then to Matt Lobin. Matt is the chief meteorologist for a television station in Tupelo, Mississippi, another place where people have a rather lax view of tornadoes. But just over a month ago, a series of twisters began setting down all over the area, and it was Matt's job to get people, specifically people, in the small town of Amory to start caring. If you were to see a screenshot of his broadcast, you would see this glaring red all over the radar and and the ticker putting out words like catastrophic damage, large, strong tornado emergency. And if you were to watch the, the clip, you would see Matt becoming increasingly desperate. And he puts up on on the screen a list of landmarks that are going to be hit by the tornado in the next three minutes. He starts pounding on his desk in desperation, trying to get people to find their way to shelter before it's too late. Get to your tornado safe place, he pleads. He's becoming noticeably overwhelmed with the realization that many people won't heed his warning and are most likely going to die. And then he says, we have a new scan that's coming in. Oh, north side of Amory, this is coming. He covers his mouth in distress. He puts his his head in his hands. He says, oh man. And then he just starts praying. Dear Jesus, help these people. Matt Laubin is a watchman for that community. He is responsible to warn them of the impending danger and to warn them with all of his might, whether they listen to him or not, so that they might seek shelter and live. Right? He could have told everybody everywhere that, you know what, don't worry about it. It's not going to be that bad. We'll all be fine. And everybody would have calmed down, right? It would have calmed their nerves. 
But, but in this moment, what people needed to hear was not something that would help them relax. What they needed to hear was of the devastation that was coming their way. They needed to seek shelter. Matt Lobbin's job isn't to make people feel better. His job is to warn people, to protect people. And on March 24th, as he pleaded with people to take shelter, he also pleaded with God to help them. And when interviewed later, he said that he prayed that prayer just as much for himself as he did for others, because he knew that he needed God's help so that he would be able to continue to sound the alarm. Well, as today, as we continue in the book of Ezekiel, we're going to see the prophet appointed to be a watchman for Israel. He is tasked with the job of warning them and pleading with them to see the, the, the coming disaster and to seek shelter, specifically shelter in the Lord. It's, it's the work that we've been tasked with as well. And just like Matt Lobbin, Ezekiel, and, and we need the strength of the Lord to do the work of warning others as he's called us to do. So I want to remind you of last week. Last week, we saw the very beginning of the call of Ezekiel. We were encouraged to, to, in our own lives to take the gospel to heart and to share it with others, right? And we, and we thought together about this call to share the good news of God and the glory of God with, with other people. And But now as we continue in chapter three, we're going to see the emphasis of the call change from telling the good news to warning of the bad news. The call has moved from telling of the glory of God to warning of the fury of God. The other side of the wonder of God is the wrath of God. And this is the content of the message that Ezekiel has been entrusted to in our passage today. It's truly, it's the other side of the message that we've been entrusted with as well. We tell of the glory of God, but we also are to warn of the fury of God. In truth, the good news of salvation is only good when we realize just how bad the bad news is, the bad news of our wickedness. And so just as last week we considered how we could understand more deeply the gospel and just how good it is, we also need to consider how we could understand more deeply just how serious our sin and its consequences are. And so let me take us again to Ezekiel chapter 3 this morning. We'll be reading starting in verse 16 all the way to the end of the chapter. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We have it up here on the screen as well. And if you picked up one of these Bibles on your way in, you'll find it on page 773. And, and just remember, those Bibles are there for you. If you need one, take one. Feel free. It can go home with you. We want to make sure you have a copy of God's word. Let me read for us Ezekiel 3, starting in verse 16. It says this. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. 
But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, arise, go out into the valley and there I will speak with you. And so I arose and went out into the valley and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Chabar Canal. And I fell on my face, but the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I and spoke with me and said to me, go shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. And I'll make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you'll be mute and unable to reprove them for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. If last week we considered Ezekiel's call and, and our call in light of how glorious God is and how good the gospel is, then this week we consider it in light of how terrifying judgment is. On, on, on the one hand, we should tell others because the good news is so good. And on the other hand, we should warn them because the bad news is so bad. We are to tell of the glory of God and warn of the fury of God. Notice what's happened here. Ezekiel was given that calling that we read about last week and then seven days have passed and he hadn't done anything. In fact, Ezekiel um, 3.15 tells us that he just sat there overwhelmed for a whole week. He had encountered the glory of God. He was given a calling from God and it was frankly too much for him, too much for him to comprehend. And he just sat there for a week trying to process it. And the Lord, by his grace, gave him the time. But now, seven days later, God has come to finish the conversation. And maybe, maybe you're in the same boat today. Or maybe you heard that sermon last week and the call to tell other people of the, of the goodness of the gospel and truly not just to share it, but to take it to heart yourself, to let it embed itself deep in your very soul. And maybe it was just a little overwhelming to consider. And so maybe for the last week, you've just sat there stunned. Perhaps you were overwhelmed because the gospel has appeared in your mind more glorious than you had previously thought. Right? When you consider the forgiveness of God and, and the future that God has for you and the freedom that is offered to you and the fullness that is there for you to take, it's there in Christ. And perhaps you're just simply stunned by that reality. Well, hopefully... As you have set with that this last week, God has prepared, prepared you to receive this word 
this week. And so now seven days later, God gives us the second side of the calling, the call to warn, not just to tell the good news, but to warn of the bad. Seven times in our passage, there's some variation of the word warn, warn them, give warning to them. The the notable commentator Robert Jameson believes that this repetition implies that it's not enough to warn once in passing, but that the warning is to be inculcated continually. So consider what Paul tells Timothy, his son in the faith at the very end of 2 Timothy. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Timothy is instructed to always be ready with the word of God. There's no off season when it comes to the gospel. And notice what the preaching of the word is supposed to do. We love exhorting. Oh, that's great. It's supposed to exhort, but also it's supposed to reprove and rebuke us. We might easily insert the word warn to that list. But not just once, but in season and out of season. We should always be warning. We should become like Paul. In this way, Paul, who reminds the Ephesian elders that he spent three years with them, admonishing them day and night. We should become like Matt Laban, because the warnings that we offer are not passing warnings. They're to be persistent and passionate warnings for the sake of the souls of those we love. Because the warnings we're being asked to give are truly life and death. If the wicked person does not turn, they will die. Let's just break that down for just just a minute. Look back at verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, but if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. And we see confirmed here two essential truths about our sinfulness. The first is the thoroughness of our sinfulness. The Bible's really clear that we're all sinners, but it is also clear that we are all the way sinful, inside and out, all the way. And so in in this verse, it talks about our wickedness, that is our internal sinfulness and our wicked way. That's our external sinfulness. Another way to put it is the way David says it in Psalm 51, when he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. He says, from the very beginning, internally, I was already sinful. But it's also true, right? That we sin all the time. We do the action of sinning all the time, which is frankly, one of the reasons that David wrote that Psalm because he'd just been caught doing the action of sin. He had it internal and he had it external. Our sinfulness is not just an internal separation from God, but an external rebellion against God. We are born into this world sinners who sin. And the second thing that this verse makes very clear is that the consequence of our sinfulness is death. The wicked will not just die in their iniquity, they will die for their iniquity. As Romans 6.23 tells us, the wages of sin is death. 
right? It makes the reality of our situation very real. We are sinners hopelessly sinning all the way to eternal death. And if that's true, we both need to hear and heed a warning and share a warning with others. Because for as confidently as verse 19 tells us that the wicked will die, verse 18 tells us that if the wicked will turn, they will be saved. We call that turning repentance. We call it repentance. When we repent, we turn from our wickedness and we turn to Jesus. We are saved in that moment. And in him, we find not an eternal death, but the glorious life of eternity. So Ezekiel is told to warn the wicked, to tell them of their situation, the coming wrath of God. Jesus tells his disciples to do the same things. Why does he ends out his life. He says, hey, go warn those who are without Christ of the coming judgment, not to condemn them because they're condemned already. You don't have to condemn anybody. God's already done it. They've condemned themselves with their own actions. We come to warn them, to warn them. This is what is coming. Salvation is offered. The wages of sin is death. But the rest of that verse tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We warn because we know that while the situation is dire, it's not hopeless. There is a way out. All right, so here's what the Apostle Paul says we're doing in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. It's not even our appeal. It's God's appeal being made through us. Warn the wicked. But notice this. Ezekiel's also told to warn the righteous. Now, most of the time, When we look at this verse, we use it to talk about evangelism or or the sharing of the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. That seems like a valid application, but Ezekiel is actually called the watchman for the house of Israel. He's not warning the world. Ezekiel very specifically is warning the people of God. And so we could just as easily understand this passage to be talking about the watchfulness that we are called to have over each other's lives inside the church. And certainly it seems like a valid application of this warning that we're to offer to the righteous. And so we warn the wicked towards the gospel and we warn the righteous towards the same gospel because we all need it every day. So look back at verses 20 and 21 again. He says, again, if, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin. And his righteous deeds that he's done shall not be remembered, but, I will, but his blood I will require at your hand. But... If you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. Warn the righteous person not to sin or the way the New Testament might say it in Galatians 6, brothers, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. 
keeping watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. In our, in our church covenant, we promise one another that we will watch over each other and correct and encourage one another as needed. We need one another to be watchmen in our lives. We need one another to correct each other, to warn us of the sins that we are moving towards and to restore us when we get caught in them. It's actually what the apostle Paul specifically does in Galatians chapter two. So just earlier in that book, he tells us a story about how he had to warn and restore his brother in Christ, the apostle Peter. So Paul sees Peter, here's what it says in the text, not in step with the gospel. Peter was living not in step with the gospel. And so what does Paul do? He confronts him, he warns him, and then he restores him. We're called to be watchmen in each other's lives to warn and restore each other. We're called to be watchmen for those who don't know Jesus as well, right? To, to warn them of the, of the coming judgment, to share with them the, the hope of salvation found in Jesus. But a good question that we, that we might ask is, okay, how am I supposed to go about this? How am I supposed to do this? Do I just stand on a street corner crying out, turn or burn to everybody that I see? How do I warn others of coming judgment without actually just becoming judgmental myself? Well, perhaps we can learn something from one of the most famous watchmen in American history, Paul Revere. You may have heard of Paul Revere's Midnight Ride where he sees the, the lanterns in the church belfry and he rides his horse from Boston all the way to Concord, shouting all the way, the British are coming, the British are coming, just waking up the whole countryside, preparing the people for the battle of Lexington and Concord. It starts the Revolutionary War. Perhaps that's the view of evangelism and accountability that you have. Perhaps you think we're supposed to be like Paul Revere, just running all over the place, just yelling out, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, waking up the whole countryside. You know, that doesn't actually seem to be what scripture is calling us to do. It's certainly not the way Ezekiel practiced his role as a watchman. And frankly, it's not what Paul Revere did either. That story that we've all heard, it's a myth. It's not how it happened. Here's what actually happened. Paul Revere did ride to Concord that night, but he didn't go about shouting and waking everybody up. Rather, he rode to the house where his two friends, Sam Adams and John Hancock were staying. And he woke them up and he warned them that they were coming to arrest them. And we're actually told that when Revere rides up to the house, they recognize him as soon as he gets there. And they call out to him from inside the house, come in, Revere. Here's my point. My point is simply that the work of warning is done in the context of relationship. Paul Revere didn't warn everybody everywhere, but there was a particular relationship where he was welcome to issue a warning. And, and, and through and the interweaving relationships that now Sam Adams has and John Hancock has, eventually the whole countryside was warned. 
Well, likewise, Ezekiel is called by God to be a very specific place and a specific people and to serve as a watchman. And through the interweaving of relationships, more and more and more people are warned. Same in your life, same in my life. I have relationships with people that I am welcome to share warning in. And as I do that, and as they come to know Jesus, through the interweaving of relationships and they go out and they go out into the relationships that they have and more and more and more people come to know, right? Certainly our church covenant doesn't imply that you should be a watchman in the life of every Christian that you ever meet, right? But for our fellow members here and the work of evangelism is relational as well. I mean, ultimately what we might say is that we have to listen to the voice of God and follow his leadership in our lives. Because in truth, it's God's warning, not not ours. And it's given in God's power and according to God's timing, right? We're called to be watchmen, but let's not forget that Psalm 127 says that unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This is the work of God. We are called and invited into that work of both telling of the glory of God and warning of the fury of God. And so notice what happens in Ezekiel. He's just been told that he's responsible for warning the people, the wicked and the righteous. And then look at what God says, starting in verse 24. God says, go shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. And I'll make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you'll be mute and unable to reprove them for they're a rebellious house. What? That doesn't even make sense. God has just sent him out as a watchman, as this mess. God has just told him, if you don't tell people and then they die, then I'm holding you responsible. And now God says, I'm going to make you unable to talk. It doesn't make sense. Given an instruction to speak or to find blood on his hands and then immediately told to shut himself up in a house, bound up in silent. But then look at verse 27. God says, but when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, thus says the Lord God. God's warning given in God's power and God's timing. Reminds me of Jesus's final interactions with his disciples. Between his resurrection and the ascension, repeatedly, Jesus is telling his disciples that they're gonna be his witnesses to the world. And then they're they're, they're gonna go and they're gonna tell other people about the life that's offered. That in Acts 1-4, right before he ascends, he says this, do not depart from Jerusalem and wait. They've been called by God to go and talk about God. And then God tells them, wait. Wait until you receive power from on high. And so they waited until the Spirit of God fell on them, filling them with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And do you know what happened on that one day? 3,000 people came to know Jesus. And if they had worked in their own power for the 10 days that they waited, nothing would have happened. We do the warning of God in the power of God according to the timing of God. 
Or think about Paul. Paul's forbidden to go to certain places to preach the gospel. I mean, what could be wrong with going to these places to preach the gospel? Well, the problem is that he would be going without the power and the blessing of God. So Ezekiel is appointed as a watchman for the house of Israel and then held in silence, some say for seven and a half years. We, you, have been appointed as a watchman as well, sent to tell of the glory of God and to warn of the fury of God, sent to testify of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, sent to carefully and lovingly watch over our brothers and sisters in Christ, warning them and restoring them. But we are only sent out when the power of God comes upon us and according to the timing of God. And to do that, it requires intimacy with God. Intimacy. Ezekiel is visited by the glory of God. He hears the voice of God. He feels the hand of God. He's filled up with the spirit of God. Ezekiel has an intimate relationship with God. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that the secret we all seem to be missing is intimacy. And the reason that we fail at sharing about God is that we aren't walking in intimacy with God. And so if we wanted to think about what witness to the work of God we might give to other people, the problem is that we have very little to say. And we never know when to say it because we don't know the sound of God's voice. And when we say it, it has no power because it's in our strength and not his. In the place of intimacy, we cling to legalism. The replacement for intimacy is always legalism. If I can't follow God's actual voice, then I have to create a list of rules that tells me what I'm doing right and wrong. And so in a sermon on warning, let me warn you that the end of legalism is failure and despondency or worse, success and pride. But either way, it ends in utter self-centeredness and death. Meanwhile, God is offering to you in Jesus, deep, abiding, intimate relationship. Jesus says, come to me, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, all you who are worn down by the demands of legalism, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That is, join me in the work instead of trying to do it on your own. We'll do this together. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Move in step with me. Don't try to run ahead. We're going at my speed, Jesus says. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Last week, we talked about the gospel being so much bigger than just Jesus died for my sins, right? And maybe maybe that has appeared in, in, in your sight more glorious than you had previously thought when you consider that, right? The forgiveness and, and the future and the freedom and, and the fullness that's being offered to you in Christ. And perhaps you're stunned at that reality, but hear me, those realities 
are only found in intimacy with God. And when you have that, then the call of God, even when it's hard, it's not burdensome. It's it's a delight. So friend, tell of the glory of God and warn of the fury of God out of, out of a deep intimacy with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you don't just give us a list of rules, but instead you invite us into a relationship with you. Because Lord, rules are overwhelming. Even when we're good at them, it's too much. But Lord, help us to know your voice. Because the truth is, God, many of us want intimacy with you and we just don't know how to get that, how to be there. So Lord, we pray that you would break through the noise of our lives like you did for Ezekiel. Break through the noise of our lives with the power of your glory and speak. Speak to us. Sit with us. Be with us. And Lord, help us to sit with you, to be with you. We're so grateful for your patience with us, Lord. Thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.